Well, good morning, everybody. Um, at least it's not raining and icy this week, so we're so glad to have everybody back. Well, I'll be honest, I don't like watching the news anymore. Um, I used to not watch it at all, and then God convicted me a few years ago about how are you going to pray for what's going on if you're not even aware and you're just burying your head in the sand. And so I thought, okay, I'll watch a little. And, and I do, and only because I want to know what's happening so that I can pray. But I don't like it because it's discouraging. It's depressing. Um, you don't watch. It's like every day there's a kidnapping or there's a carjacking or there's a, a robbery or something that's going on. And it's caused me to become very cautious. And I'm not a fearful person, but the days that we're living in have made me very vigilant, very cautious. I don't go out much at night because I'm by myself, but if I do, when I'm driving home and I'm looking in the rearview mirror to see, is there anybody following me? Is there anybody behind me as I'm turning into my garage? I used to never even think about that. And I have a routine I go through now when I go shopping at Kroger in the middle of the day or somewhere else, wherever it is. I have a routine that I go through, and I almost brought everything to show you how I suit up. But um, I put on, I, I don't take a purse. I put on my little cross bag, and I only have one credit card and one driver's license and whatever I need. I put that on, then I put my jacket on to zip it up and so that if they're, they're not going to be able to grab that strap and knock me to the ground, they're going to have to fight for it. And then Sharon Morocco gave me this wonderful little device called a birdie. And I don't know if y'all have ever seen it, but it's a, a little alarm that if somebody's coming, you can pull this out. I haven't tested it because I don't want to hear it, but it makes this screeching noise and blinking light. So I have it in my car. I keep it in my car. And... So when I pull into Kroger parking lot, I look around to see, is there anybody sitting in their car kind of watching me? And then I get out of the car and I lock it and I have my little birdie and I, I hold it in my hand to where it's very visible. And then I'm walking very fast and I'm like this the whole way. <laughs> and then I get in the store and I put it in and I unzip the everything. But you know, it's a shame that we have gotten that way. But it's like, I'm, I'm trying to be vigilant. Why? Because I don't, I want to avoid being the victim of somebody who does not have my best interest in mind. But then one day as I was doing that, and actually one day, an hour after I got home, somebody got carjacked in the very Kroger sh shopping uh, parking lot. And I thought, okay, don't mess with me. I may be small. I may be small, but you're going to don't mess with me. And so, but then one day God really brought this question to mind. Cricket, you know, you're very vigilant about your earthly life, your physical life. But are you that vigilant about your spiritual life? Are you on guard and, and aware and alert to the enemies? attacks as he's lurking around the corner ready to pounce on you when he sees a moment of weakness. And so I realized I need to be vigilant 
not just with my physical surroundings, but I need to be vigilant even more so with my spiritual life. And that, that's something that I want us all to think about. You know, are we vigilant against those who don't have our best hearts, interested hearts spiritually? So in our passage this week of 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 9, Paul exhorted Timothy to be vigilant. And that's the challenge I have for us this week. Be vigilant. If you want to leave a legacy of eternal significance, you've got to be vigilant. Be wise about your surroundings, both physically and spiritually. And so Paul began this section in chapter 3, in verse 1, by stating, in the last days, difficult times will come. In those last days, we may think that he's referring to the days right before Jesus' return, but the last days here is referring to the church age. It's referring to the, the period of time between the first coming of Christ and his second coming. So we're all living in those last days. Paul and Timothy were living in the last days. We're living in the last days, and if he doesn't return in our lifetime, the, the generations behind us will be living in those last days. And he says there are going to be difficult times. Remember back when Paul wrote this, Nero was persecuting Christians, throwing them to the lions. Those were difficult times. We're living in difficult times, even though they look different. But that's what we need to expect in this time, waiting for the Lord's coming back. So then Paul goes on to describe what these difficult times will look like and how people will behave in these times. And so scholars believe that Paul was specifically referring to the false teachers that Timothy was dealing with at the church at of Ephesus at that time, that he was directing this toward them. And yet, God's word is for all time. So we can broaden the application to our times today. And whether it's false teachers or just people that are trying to trip us up and attack us, we need to be vigilant. And so this morning, I want to address two areas that we need to be vigilant in. And the first is be vigilant against misdirected loves. And then the second one, I'll go ahead and tell you, but you don't have to write it down. Be vigilant against misdirected lovers. And so we're going to start with the first one. Be vigilant against misdirected loves. And we see this in verses 1 to 4. And in these verses, Paul mentions three misdirected loves. Three areas in which we should not be focusing our love. And so the first misdirected love is a lover of self. Verse 2, he says, For men will be lovers of self. Lovers of self, I mean, very simply, they, they place themselves first in everything. Love of self becomes more important than love for others. It's always about me, me, me. Well, I'm going to do what's best for me. I don't care how it impacts them. 
It's me. And so even though he was talking about false teachers at that time, I think we need to also today, as we're trying to apply this to today, yes, be vigilant about these in people around that don't have our best interests, but we need to look in ourselves too. And so are we lovers of self? And I'm going to give you a quick test with each of these three misdirected loves, but a good test for us to check to see if we have misdirected love in our own for self is just asking, God, am I always putting myself first? Am I always thinking about myself before I think about somebody else? Is it always about me? Because if it is, then I might be very well a lover of self. I probably, I am. If I'm, all I'm thinking about is me first. The second misdirected love is lovers of money. He goes on to say, for men will be lovers of money. And Paul talked about this misdirected love in his first letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 9 to 10. And he said, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. He's not saying that having money is bad. But what he's saying is that our attitude and our love for money is where we get into trouble. How we handle it. It can be disastrous. And I admit it is difficult in today's times to not think about money. I think we all do. We're watching our 401ks, especially somebody that's about to retire. Yeah, I'm looking at it. And, I, you know, there's that tendency that you're focusing on it. Uh, we go to the grocery store or we pay our utility bill. And we're thinking, wow, Lord. I mean, I went to PetSmart Friday to get some cat food and bird seed and a, a water filter for the, my cat's water fountain. It was almost $100, and when I got it, I looked at the lady, and I went, seriously? And I am not even feeding my cats gourmet cat food. It's fancy feast. <laughs> but it was almost $100 for just a few little items. And so, I'm, yes, money is a big issue today. And it would be easy to start to focus on money, but Paul warns we need to be vigilant about being lovers of money because we can get into trouble with that. So a test to ask ourselves is, am I looking to money as my source of security? Or am I looking to God to provide for me, to take care of me? Is my security in God or in how much money I have? And another question that we can ask, too, to check our heart is, how hard is it to trust God with our money? How hard is it to give it away when God is prompting us to give? And we're thinking, oh, but God, I've got to pay this big bill. Are we holding that money loosely and saying, God, you use it however you need to? 
And then we come to the third area, misdirected love. And this is down in, in verse 4. So we're going to drop down to verse 4 when he says, they will be lovers of pleasure. And that's the, the third misdirected love, a lover of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And the issue here is not whether we should have pleasure. I mean, God wants us to enjoy life. But the issue he's focusing on is what do we find our pleasure in? And what is our attitude toward it? He wants us to enjoy the fruit of his hand. But not to the extent that we love that pleasure more than we love him. And if that pleasure distracts us from him. You know, I come home at the end of every day. Um, and my cats greet me at the garage door when I come in. And they're so excited to see me. And I'm thinking, they love me. And uh, they're just so glad I'm home. And I'll think, y'all want to just have a little playtime, a little snuggle time? And they run right to the kitchen. And you know what's coming. They go to their food bowls. And I'm like, well, we can, you can eat later. Let's just sit down and tell me about your day and, you know. <laughs> Let's have some good time together. They just want food, especially Hannah, who is my food person. And so my food cat, but I will feed them. And then I'll think, okay, then we'll have some time together. And they're off and gone. And I remember one day I, I just said, I looked at him and I said, you know what? You guys don't love me for who I am. <laughs> you don't love me as your cat mom. You don't love me just because I'm here. All you love is what I'm going to give you. That's all you care about. And then God just convicted me right then. And I thought, God, do I do that with you? Do I just get so excited about what you're giving me that I don't even think about you? And it, it convicted me. God, I don't want to have that attitude toward you. So how do we recognize if we're a lover of pleasure instead of a lover of God? Well, when we're consumed by our pleasures instead of God, then we have misdirected love. And so we need to ask, what consumes my time? What consumes my energy, my focus? And do, in my pleasures, do I still make time for God? Do I see him in those pleasures? What consumes my thoughts and my energy? My provider or my pleasures? Do we love the gifts more than we love the giver? And every time when I look at my cats eating and they're not even paying attention to me, I think, Lord, please don't let me be like that with you. We don't want to be a lover of money. So why should we um, be concerned about these misdirected loves? I mean, he starts this letter and he says, I want you to be vigilant against three, or he starts this section. He says, be vigilant against misdirected loves, the love of self, the love of money, the love of pleasure. 
Instead, in verse 4, he emphasizes that our love should be directed toward God and God alone. But why should we be vigilant against misdirected love? Because misdirected love leads to idolatry. Because idolatry is when we place something or someone in a place that rightfully belongs to God. And we're focusing on that or that person instead of God. It becomes idolatry when we misdirect our loves to the wrong thing. Is there something or someone that we love more than we love God? So if we want to leave a legacy of eternal significance, we have to be vigilant against misdirected loves. That's the first area. The second area that we need to be vigilant against is misdirected lovers. We have to be able to recognize the characteristics of someone who has misdirected love, someone who can pull us away from our relationship with the Lord. And so in verses 2 through 9, Paul gives a list of characteristics, and including these three that I just went through, these three misdirected loves, there's a total of 19 characteristics. And he, as he's writing this, again, he's referring and pointing and warning against these false teachers. But we need to be vigilant today about anybody that might misdirect our love as we listen to them or hang out with them. So I'm going to walk us through these characteristics very briefly. But as I do, I want you to ask God to show you, are any of these characteristics present in my life, Lord? And so starting in verse 2, the first one is boastful. And boastful is the outward manifestation of loving self. When we love ourselves... We want to talk about ourselves. And so we boast. Our hearts are full of pride and we want the glory. We want the attention. And so we brag. We boast about ourselves and how great we are. It's the outward manifestation of pride. The second characteristic is arrogant. And the Greek word translated as arrogant here has the literal meaning of placing above superiority. So you are putting, you've got the inward attitude. Arrogance is the inward attitude that lies behind the boastful person. If you're arrogant, you're probably going to boast about how wonderful you are. It's the attitude of thinking, I'm so much better than you are. I can sing better than you are. Not really, but, uh, you know, it's that attitude. I can sing better. I can cook better. I can decorate better. I can dress better. I can do this better. And so we begin to think that we, we have, that, that Greek word, we're putting ourselves above everyone else. And it may be also, well, I'm a sinner, but, oh, I'm not nearly as bad as Margot here. I mean... <laughs> Her sin, I'm way above her in sin. God loves me. You know, it's the same thing, that arrogance. A third characteristic, revilers. And that's translated from the Greek word blasphemous, from which we get our English word blasphemous. 
And it carries the basic idea of being abusive and slanderous. So this is referring to those who abuse and insult other people with their words. They're putting others down to make themselves look better. And they're hurting people with their, their abusive language toward them. Fourth characteristic disobedient to parents. This implies a rebellious heart. Our attitude toward our parents reflects our attitude toward God. Because if we love and honor God, we are going to love and honor our parents because we know that's what pleases God. He wants us to honor and love our parents. And so, It's just showing when we don't, there's this rebellious heart of, I'm going to do what I want to do. And so those who have a misdirected love have a rebellious heart towards God and parents. A fifth characteristic, ungrateful. And the ungrateful person cannot appreciate anything or express thankfulness for anything. They can't show gratitude for blessings because in their mind, they're thinking, well, I don't need to thank anybody for this because I deserve this. I deserve this blessing. Or, well, I worked for this. Of course, I, God gave me this or I got this, this promotion or this thing because I'm so good or I deserved it or whatever it is that we're thinking about ourselves, they're never satisfied and they don't recognize the source of their blessings coming from God or even others blessing them. It's always about, I did this, so I don't need to thank anybody. It's me. Number six, unholy. They don't revere God or respect God's word. They don't care if they sin. They'll do what they want to do. They live to please themselves instead of God. And so, yep, they'll sin as much as they want to. And then number seven, unloving. And we move into verse three here. Unloving. And that literally means without family affection. It's referring to the love of a parent for a child or a child for a parent. The New Revised Standard Version translates this word as inhuman because it's inhuman to not love that family the way that you should. It's not not right. You know, I love to see, like, uh, Sunday mornings with Christy uh, Bicknell when uh, she's here early and then when Emma and her husband come into the door, Emma comes running in and goes, Mommy, and she grabs around Christy's legs. That's the way we should love. That's human. A child should love their parents. The parents should love their child. And as one scholar said, if there's no human affection, the family can't exist. It's an unwillingness to show normal human affection, and particularly toward family in this, with this word. Number eight. Irreconcilable. That's the translation in New American Standard. Uh, The New King James Version says unforgiving. This person refuses to 
go to somebody and ask for forgiveness when they've wronged them. They don't want to reconcile. If, if, if I have wronged you and I'm this person, you know, irreconcilable, I'm not going to go and ask forgiveness. But they also don't want to grant forgiveness. When somebody has wronged them, they're not going to grant forgiveness. They will hold a grudge or act out revenge. But that is the person who is unreconcilable. They don't want to reconcile. And then number nine, malicious gossips. This is also translated as slanderers. It literally means to throw something against someone. And it's interesting because this is the same word that is used for devil in the New Testament. And the meaning of that word is accuser. And so a slanderer attempts to hurt other people by throwing, you know, gossip, false rumors, lies, or accusing, false accusations. And they're, often they do this because they want to make themselves look good and make the other person look not as good. They don't want people to like that person, so let me see what I can do to gossip about them or throw something against them. And then number 10, without self-control. This word means without power. It refers to a person who gives in to wrong impulses or desires. They, they can't restrain their actions. They can't restrain what comes out of their mouths or their feelings. And the reason why is because they are not drawing from the power living within them. And they may be Christians, but they're not tapping into the Holy Spirit living into them to help them restrain their actions. So they're without self-control. They're without power of the Holy Spirit to hold them back, to control them. And number 11, brutal. This word means savage, untamed, or fierce. And it's used to describe fierce lions and people who act like them. Brutal people are like untamed animals. You know, you, you think about, well, back in the day that this was written, Nero was throwing Christians to the lions. It was brutal. But we do that when we're fierce and we rip into people and we tear them apart. And Satan is described as a, a roaring lion ready to jump on his prey. But that's a characteristic we, we do not want to have. And number 12, haters of good. They hate God's standards of righteousness. They despise anything that is good, anything that is upright. They're not concerned about pleasing God. They're not concerned about obeying laws. And I think now, in the times that we're living, I feel like I'm seeing this more now than I ever have in all my years, of how people have no respect for laws, 
They don't want to do good. People, like I said, when you watch the news and you see videos of people breaking into stores and shattering glass and just walking out or carjackings or robberies or shootings and you watch all this, they, people hate good. And that's kind of the times we're living in. And then number 13, treacherous. Verse, verse 4. This might be translated better as traitors because this is the word in the Greek that was used of Judas who betrayed Jesus. And it refers to, to someone who betrays their loyalty or their trust in order to further their own interests. Treacherous people are traitors. Judas was a traitor. I mean, he was willing to betray Jesus, his loyalty to Jesus, because he was a lover of money. Oh, you're going to give me money? Sure. And that's what they're referring, treacherous. They can't be trusted. And then 14 is reckless. And this characteristic can also be translated headstrong. That's in the New King James Version. But also it's translated as rash in the NIV. Reckless people act foolishly and carelessly. They're completely unconcerned about the consequences for themselves or for others. They don't they're all they're going to, I don't care. I'm just going to do what I want to do. And that word headstrong implies their determination to have their own way. I mean, we see that today so much, this recklessness. I came out of church Sunday morning and was walking to my car over by the gym. And I, I'm looking at the freeway and I can hear it first, the cars first. But I just see these cars zipping down the freeway. I bet they're going over 100 miles an hour, going through all the lanes, just like this. They are reckless because they have no concern about what their actions might have for somebody else that's driving in another lane. We're seeing that every day. And then number 15, conceited, verse 4. And the word translated here means literally to wrap up in smoke. In other words, to puff up with pride. You know, I, I, you've seen pictures of cats that see something coming toward them, a dog or something, and all of a sudden they puff up their bodies like they're this big animal. They're not really that way, but they're trying to make people think they are. That's conceited, and that goes along with arrogance and boastfulness. And then the last one, number 16, is insincere. Verses 5 to 9. In verse 5, and we don't have time to delve into all of this, this passage, but verse 5, he starts, he says, holding to a form of godliness although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. And again, he is talking about, in this particular passage to Timothy, he's talking about the false teachers that are preying on these women that are weak. They seem religious, these false teachers, these men in the church. They may have made a profession of Christianity, but their actions... Don't back up their words. 
They've denied the power. You don't see the power of God living in them. And he says, avoid such men as these. And there's several thoughts on what does he mean by that. I mean, we're supposed to be in the world. We're supposed to be a light to the world, which means we need to be able to share with people. Yes, we do. But we need to be vigilant about how much time and how far we get with these people. We need to be careful about um, listening to their words. And some have said, uh, in this case, these men were unrepentant. They were sinful. They were false teachers. And there was no heart of repentance. You know, perhaps Timothy had talked to them and said, you're not doing the right thing and they're just not listening. And, and Paul is saying, avoid these men. And some scholars have said he may have been implying you need to excommunicate them from the church because there's no sign of their turning away or being, having a heart of repentance. You know, we don't know for sure, but those are some thoughts. Um, but these men, we need to be, we need to avoid them. These men in this situation, they were preying on people who are vulnerable. Specifically, these women in the churches, in the church in Ephesus who were home. And they wanted to learn. They were eager to learn. And here are these men coming in. Hey, we'll teach you what the Word of God says. We'll teach you what, what Christianity. And then they're taking them down this path. They're sneaky. They're, they're worming their way into these homes and they're making them believe that they're teaching them good things, but they're, they're preying on their vulnerabilities. And that's where we have to be careful that we are not putting ourselves in a vulnerable situation. And we need to be aware of where we're weak and be vigilant about that. You know, I, I just finished reading a book called Counterfeit Kingdom. Somebody had recommended it to me. I'd never heard of it. And it talks about this false teaching that is infiltrating our churches today, not just in the U.S., around the world. And I mean, and I'm familiar with some of these churches, but I'd not heard of this particular doctrine that they're teaching. And as I read the book, I mean, it opened my eyes to how they're subtly trying to indoctrinate and bring this doctrine into churches but they're using just sneaky means. It may be music. that, And I love the music of some of these churches. But they're trying to use that to get them to get, well, when I'm over in that city, I'm going to go visit that church. Because I love their music and their worship. And so they go visit the church and then they hear all these teachings. It made me really stop and think, I had no idea that this is going on and how big of a, movement it is. We need to be vigilant against people that are insincere, that act like they're Christians, but they're not, or they're teaching false doctrine. So if you want to leave a legacy of eternal significance, be vigilant. Be vigilant against misdirected loves, self, pleasure, money, but be vigilant against misdirected lovers. And be aware of all these characteristics, but look in your own heart too. So how do we stay vigilant? 
against misdirected loves and misdirected lovers. I'm just going to give you three quick little takeaways uh, with this, and then we'll wrap up. First, recognize the warning signs in ourselves as well as in others. If we see those characteristics in ourselves, we need to confess and turn our love back to God. Recognize it in others. If somebody's trying to pull you and say, hey, why don't you come visit this, uh, this new church with me? You know, just be vigilant about, okay, there's something being said here by this pastor that doesn't sit right. Then a second thing, we need to draw from God's power, the Holy Spirit living in us to keep us vigilant. We need to draw from his strength to say, nope, I'm not, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to get off track. But I need you, God, to help me. And then the third is put on the full armor of God. Every morning, every day, we should clothe ourselves in that armor that he's given us. You know, it's just like I suit up to go to Kroger and I have my little bag and I have my little, I'm ready to get you. We need to suit up every day and be vigilant against misdirected loves and misdirected lovers. Let's pray. Father, um, it's hard living in today's times when you see what's going on in the world. And more than ever, I feel like we need to be vigilant. But Father, not just vigilant in our physical lives. Help us really be vigilant with our spiritual lives that we would not be subtly deceived and pulled away from the truth. Father, help us keep our strength in you. And always be just aware and on guard. Not living in anxiety or fear but, or suspicion, but just asking you to, to prompt us when something's not right. If we hear a teaching that we know is not in line with your word, Lord, just don't let us blow it off. Help us be vigilant. Father, we love you. Thank you. And I want to pray for our food that we're about to eat together in fellowship, that you would give us sweet time together around these tables in this room, that, Lord, we would be able to fellowship and encourage one another. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.